0: I don't know if you know if everybody knows this is david sammy my friend and and uh, he's been at our church before and david lives uh here in our community and and david and i had coffee a while back and man i just really enjoyed fellowshipping with him and, and hearing his story and um, he is from Iran originally and uh, and just a great great testimony and so um, we want to hear from you and is it right if I pray for you? Absolutely. All right Lord Jesus thank you so much for our brother David. Thank you for what you put on his heart here to share with us tonight. Holy Spirit we just ask uh, that you would uh, speak through him and um, fill him in a powerful way and move among us Lord. Thank you for uh the, THE JOY OF YOUR SALVATION AND, and uh, FOR WHAT YOU'VE DONE FOR US. WE LOVE YOU AND PRAY THIS IN JESUS' NAME. AMEN. ALL RIGHT. HERE YOU GO.
1: THANK YOU. sir yeah. THANK YOU SO MUCH. CAN EVERYONE HEAR ME OKAY? Yeah. ALL RIGHT. YOU KNOW, MY WIFE ALWAYS SAYS THAT I TALK SO SOFTLY THAT SHE CAN'T HEAR, BUT I ALWAYS FEEL LIKE I'M YELLING. <laughs> SO it's, it's, IT'S FUNNY HOW IT WORKS OUT. AS PASTOR DAN MENTIONED, uh, MY NAME IS DAVID SAMI. I was born and raised in the country of Iran, in the capital city, Tehran. And I was there until 16 years old when I came to the state. I came to US at 1977. So I've been here ever since. And, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, we hear a lot about Iran, especially now, you know, Iran is in the news. but. Um, You know, today, as I want to talk a little bit about how I came to the Lord, I want to briefly talk a a little bit about Iran. Because most of us, maybe our ideas about that country has been shaped by what we see in the media. And, um, you know, some things are accurate, but some things are not accurate. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Iran. And then I want to also give maybe more time to any questions that you may have about the religion of Islam, about the country of Iran, or anything else of that nature that I can answer, it'd be great. So we want to give more time on that end. You know, today Iran is a country of 80 million people. It's four times the size of Iraq. Huge country, huge country. When I was living in the capital city, Tehran, at that time, 1977, There were about 4 million people in the capital city. Today, I've been told that there are over 25 to 30 million people in the capital city of Tehran. Huge city, huge city. And my family, uh, my father was, he did well for himself. If you want to consider, we were like middle class Iranian family, and um, they, In Iran, it's really big to have good education. They put a high premium on being educated. And my parents sent me to a Catholic school that was locally there in our area that was considered to be a very high academic standard and a place you want to be. So I went to Catholic school. And in that school, you had Muslim kids, and you had Catholic kids. So we were both kind of side by side. But if you were a Muslim kid, uh, you had to have religious classes. So we had one period that they would give us a background on the religion of Islam and uh, more or less you know, try to train you up in the religion of Islam. I remember growing up, I was never much of a scientist. I was never good with my hands. I Never were interested in math, but I always were interested in two subjects. One was religion, and one was history. And I was fortunate enough to have good teachers on both subjects. You know, sometimes people say, well, history is boring, because we get so occupied with dates or this and that. But if you had the good fortune of somebody who can explain to you why, why the events happened, What were the people thinking? History can really come alive. Religion and history were always my subjects. Philosophy, I always were an observer of people and events. These things were always interesting to me. And I remember when I was growing up, in the religion of Islam, now most of Iran, Iran is 90% Islamic and maybe 5-6% Christian and the original religion of Iran is made up of maybe 3% of population now. The original religion of Iran was not Islam. It was Zoroasterism. Does that ring a bell with anyone? Zoroasterism. And today, fastest growing Christian church in the Middle East is in the country of Iran. I'm going to touch a little bit about this, that a lot of these people get converted in a very supernatural way, through visions, dreams, and in a very miraculous way. But I remember, when I was growing up, in our classes, they always thought that. YOU CANNOT RELY ON THE BIBLE. BIBLE IS NOT AN ACCURATE DOCUMENT. JESUS DID NOT WRITE THE NEW TESTAMENT. HIS APOSTLES DID. AND THEY PUT IN THERE WHAT THEY THOUGHT JESUS SAID. SO IT'S NOT REALLY RELIABLE. AND THE WAY THEY VIEW um, THE RELIGION IS THEY THINK OF IT AS A Abrahamic RELIGION. It has started with Abraham, Ishmael and then Jacob and down the road. They embrace all the prophets, and they look at the revelation of God as a progressive revelation. They think each prophet came to complete the work of the one before him. They call Jesus Esau. I don't know if that rings a bell Esau. they call. Him. Moses is Musa. Esau and Musa. So in their way of thinking, these guys that came, the final prophet is Muhammad. That Muhammad brought the final revelation of God. But this is a chain that goes all the way back to Abraham. You be talk to a Muslim guy and he may tell you that all of these prophets were Muslims. Has anybody ever heard that? That all of these prophets are Muslim because the Islamic faith is started with Abraham. So that's how they view things. And Iran is the Shiite branch of Islam. Probably, if you get collectively the religion of Islam, probably about 80% are Sunnis. Sunnis. or 15% are Shiite and then there's some minority in kind of like some fragmentation of other groups but if you can think of Sunnis and Shiites these two are the predominant ones now as I was growing this is how I began to view Christianity and the Bible that Christians really their document is not accurate it's not reliable And I don't understand why wouldn't you want to become Muslim if all of these go right back to Abraham, if they are all in a chain, so why wouldn't you want to get the final revelation of God instead of the prophet who came before Muhammad? Now, all the Muslims, they look at Jesus not as as the son of God, but as a prophet of God. And another noteworthy item is that they don't believe Jesus got crucified. They believe the night before God took Jesus to heaven and they crucified someone that looked like Jesus, but that Jesus did not yet crucify. Oh. Now, right around 1977, my parents, we had relatives here, and we decided, my parents decided, that maybe it's time for us to leave Iran, go abroad, it'd be beneficial for me and my sister, you know, get better education, and um, maybe have more opportunities. So we decided to come to U.S. Now, when we went to embassy, my parents got visas. They had six months to leave the country and come up here. But the embassy didn't give me a visa. They said, well... We want to make sure you go to a school, so you have to have an application from a school, from a high school there, then we give you a visa. Well, by the time I got all of those paperwork in order, my parents' visa got expired. So they said, okay, why don't we send you to live with your uncle, and then we get everything ready, and we come up afterward. But right around then, That's when the Iranian Revolution were beginning to kind of rumble and beginning to happen. I mean, if you can visualize people, like if you think of the Highway 532, imagine that highway. You would have people protesting from Stanwood all the way to Five Freeway, as far as you could see. All of a sudden, it seems like out of nowhere, this revolution was beginning to take place, and brewing, and people were protesting. I never seen that before. I mean, it was always like, wow, where did these people come from? So I come to a state, and lo and behold, the country of Iran overnight changed. You remember some, Shah, we had a king over there. Well, he leaves Iran and a gentleman by the name of Ayatollah Khomeini, that guy, he comes on power. Now, one of the things that he said, because you had different faction, you had different groups, that they were all opposing the Shah. This guy said, if we all unite and get rid of this Shah, then when the government change, we go into the mosque, and we instill a democratic form of government, and you can you know, choose whoever you want as president. So all of these other opposition group got behind Ayatollah Khomeini to get rid of the Shah. But when they got rid of the Shah, these guys didn't go into the mosques. They decided to stay in power. And you had people protesting, saying, hey, wait a minute. This wasn't supposed to be happening. But they were so brutal in their suppression that they just came on power and stayed on power. Now, when I was in Iran, Iran was very much pro-Israel and pro-West. We used to deal with them all the time. The only thing that could have happened to turn a nation overnight to become anti-West, anti-Israel, is if he became Islamic. And that's exactly what happened in that country. Overnight, it shifted. Overnight. Now, I come over here to sunny California, Orange County. That's where I'm from. And um, I went to high school there. Now, a couple of lighter notes. How many of you have ever been outside of US? How many of you have gone to the countries that you had certain preconceived idea only to see man, man? This is totally different than what I thought. You know, I think most of my ideas about the US were shaped by movies. <laughs> Boy, what a surprise. Um, you know, I attended a high school, and um, in Iran, Most of the men, they dress very fashionably, and the fashion comes from Europe. Well, I was 16 years old. I think most of the kids at high school, they thought I was a teacher, because I would go dressed up, and all the kids thought that I was a teacher. Uh, I was trying to date this one beautiful young lady. She thought I was 26, and I was a teacher. (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding? All through school, I had English classes. You had to have a second language as you were, especially in my school. But the way, you know, you never really learn a language until you begin to converse with people. And the way they taught me was to speak like a diplomat. Imagine a 16 year old kid that would speak like a politician with all the other kids. I mean, nobody could understand what I'm saying, and I really don't understand what they were saying. But a couple of things always stood out. Uh, It's kind of funny stories. One was in Iran. It's very customary. You see how Paul talks about when you greet each other with a holy kiss? In Middle Eastern country, when you meet a friend, you kiss each other on both sides of the cheek. You never kiss uh, opposite gender, but you kiss the same gender. Always on both sides of the cheek. Very customary to have even your arms around your friend when you're walking. Oh. <laughs> the first time I went to a movie with an American kid, uh, this guy, he became my friend in high school. We went to a movie, <laughs> and he went into the aisle, and he sat over here, and I went and sat right next to him. He got up and he skipped the seat and sat over here. <laughs> and I thought, what on earth? I thought maybe he wants to go more in. So I got up and sat right next to him.
0: <laughs> and
1: he turned around and I told him, David, we need to skip a chair. And I said, why? And people may think we are gay. <laughs> really? <laughs> and um, I never, ever forget the first time I went to beach that was Newport Beach in California. Oh. In Iran, when I was there, all men wear speedos, <laughs> and me and this Iranian friend of mine, we both had speedos on, <laughs> and we were walking. And I'm not kidding you. Every single individual that was coming directly at us would look at us like this, and I'm like, "What's wrong?" And you know, I mean. I, it never occurred to me that look at other people's bathing suit,
0: yeah.
1: and we were supposed to meet that kid, that American friend kid, <laughs> and he came up to me, and he said, "David, what are you wearing?" I said, "Espedos. What are you wearing? Your pajamas?"
0: And
1: he said, "No, David. We don't wear espedos here. Let's go get you a bathing suit." So. I haven't, wore bait, I haven't wore a Speedo since then, but I never forget the look that we were getting. But, you know, slowly, slowly, um, I kind of began to adopt the culture. I actually feel more comfortable with Americans than Iranians. Do um, you still wear Speedos? No. I burned those Speedos. But, um, you know, I really adopted the culture. Adopted the country. I feel this is my country. And um, I really got molded because I came here at such a young age. And all the way along the way in California, I would come across Christians. And, uh, you know, they would all tell me, you know, David, if you want to go to heaven, you need to believe Jesus. Really? Yeah. I said, okay, well. How does that make any sense to you? What about all these other people of the world that are non-Christian? So well, you know, uh, they're all going to go to hell. They were, wow, really? You think, does that make sense to you? Well, that's what the Bible says. And I would say, well, have you ever thought that maybe Bible is wrong? And all of a sudden, I get a look like, how can that be? No, Bible is not wrong? I said, really? Well, can you explain to me how can God have a son? And they all would have a puzzled look. It was almost like nobody has ever asked them that question. And I said, well, you know, Jesus is the son of God. I said, well, okay, but can you explain how? And that's usually when the conversation will end it. And after a while, again, any time I would see a Christian, I would think, you know, he doesn't know that he has been conditioned to think a certain way that's not accurate. He just doesn't know any better. So I would sit and debate, and you know, to be truthful, most of the people that I came across could not explain why they believed the way they did. I think I could have explained to them better and swung them the other way rather than they swing me this way. Until finally, I got a job in a hospital. And in this hospital, an elderly gentleman, he got hired as well. And he had the appearance of what I consider to be a holy guy. He had a big, long, white beard. I mean, he looked like Abraham. I mean, big, almost like an Amish or Mennonite gentleman. You know, very simple very kind of holy-looking to what I thought holy was. And me and him, we became very close. And one time he asked me, he said, David, have you ever read the Bible? I said, no. And he said, if I give you a Bible, would you read it? And I said, sure. Because, you know, he's elderly gentleman. You know, I don't want to debate him, or I don't want to say anything that is not nice or polite. To my surprise, the next day he came to the Bible. And he gave me this Bible and I said, David, you go ahead and read it and see what you think. I said, OK, sure. I went home and I just turned the, on the bed, didn't think twice about why well, I was going to read the Bible. But about a week, week or so went by, and out of curiosity, I thought, let me see what the Bible says. And I just put my finger right in the middle and just opened it up. As I opened the the Bible up, all of a sudden, a presence came into the room that could be felt. I knew somebody's in this room. Somebody's here. It was almost like a sense of awe that began to take place in the room. And I landed on the Sermon on the Mount. And I began to read the Sermon on the Mount. And the content. And what he was saying, everything I was reading, it was as if penetrating right into me, was directly speaking to me. And this sense of awe, this presence, I was just like awestruck at what was taking place there, without anybody explaining anything to me. I read the Bible for about 20 minutes, and I closed it and put it aside. And I was just awestruck at the content. Today, we are told, especially in Western culture, that all religions say the same thing, that their differences are in minor things. It's completely the other way around. All religions, the religions, the main religions, are different at their core. Their similarities are in minor things. It's completely the other way around than what we hear. So every day, I began to read the Bible. And as I was reading, again, the same experience. A presence would come into the room, and everything I would be reading that Jesus is saying, it would penetrate into me. It was like speaking directly at me. Until I came to this verse in book of John, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he said that, you did not choose me. I was get emotional when I come out of this. But I chose you. And when I read that verse, it just leaped out of the page. And I, for once, began to look at my life from above. And all the places that I've been, all the experiences, and I wasn't even looking for Christ. That was the furthest thing from my mind. But he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. (coughs) And I thought, wow. And that verse, again, leaped. And that's when I think I truly got converted. Truly got converted. Um, I am of a school of thought that would say that, um, again, we don't choose God. God chooses you. Whoever truly comes to Christ is not coincidental or accidental, but it is because God drew him. And, um, you know, that's exactly what happened to me. But you know, some of those questions that I had, they're still not answered. But they no longer remain a question. It didn't matter how Jesus was the Son of God. What it did matter is that indeed, he is the Son of God. Amen. You know, for us to be, Bible says, that we are all dead in trespasses and sin. We are spiritually dead. We don't want someone to have a change of opinion, but we want someone to be born from above. And in order to be born from above, there has to come, we can name it different things, enlightenment, awakening, that the Holy Spirit will come behind the words and illuminate the heart and mind in order for things to make sense. Have you ever talked to someone about Christ? Things that may appear as clear as your nose on your face, and you're looking at this individual, how can you not understand what I'm telling you? The thing is, because the person is spiritually dead. It's like you are describing things to that person that he is not able to see. But when the Holy Spirit begins to draw the person, it is almost as if a veil gets lifted up, and the person is able to see, able to comprehend, and it all makes sense. And that's what it happened to me. And I began. I began to keep reading, studying, studying, studying. And this is around um, 1987, 1988. So I've been a Christian ever since. You know, ever since then. And uh, the funny thing is, you know, I talked to my friends about it, and you know, they all look at me, David. You just became a vacuum, What are you talking about? But. Again, um, you know, they're not able to see. One friend of mine did become a Christian later on. It was interesting. He became a Christian. But this has been my journey. And after that, um, Lord really took me. And you know how Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you? That's exactly what happened to me. I ended up meeting a wonderful young lady I got married, she's American, and um, uh, we have six beautiful children. And um, you know, I'm just at awe how the Lord really delivered me and brought me into the country. And oh, by the way, my parents were never able to come out. I was like Joseph. I went into Egypt, I came over here. And I did not see my parents until I left when I was, say, 16. I did not see them again until I was about 29, 30. yeah. So completely changed. And um, what else can I tell you that would be noteworthy? The gentleman that gave me the Bible, we kind of began to part ways soon after. And, uh, you know, I still have that Bible. I still have that Bible. But what was interesting was that how, when I was ready, the Lord brought him into my life for a very brief time. But that man became a vessel in the hand of God to change my eternal destiny. And, uh, and this is where I am. But um, now, I want to open it up. A uh, little bit more to you know Iran is back on the news you know we hear things are getting kind of tense over there and uh, I wanted to open it up if you have a question about Islam that I can answer and or anything about what is happening that maybe again I may be able to answer I want to open it up for that but a couple things I do want to share is most of the people that are Muslim Most of them are Muslim, Islam, in name only. You know, they believe you are born into a religion. So I could be born into an Islamic family, and I may never practice anything about the religion of Islam. But if you were to ask me what is your religion, I would say I'm a Muslim. Most Muslim are not practicing Muslim. They're just Muslim, in name only. They're just more or less secular. But the ones that are take their faith seriously, <coughs> you will be able to tell. The ladies wear kind of like a scarf, and they usually would wear kind of like an overall with pants, you know. And men would wear very simple shirt, jacket, you know. They kind of dress simply. You could tell those are the ones that they take their faith more seriously. But um, but you know, Middle Eastern people in general are actually very warm people. Iranians are not warlike at all. Contrary to what you see, Iranians are the people that enjoy poetry, (coughs) enjoy partying, enjoy uh, gathering. How many people have seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding? That would be a typical Iranian family. (coughs) They are not warlike. They're very hospitable. They are a little bit, it takes them a little bit to warm up to you, but once they warm up to you, they act like they've known you all their lives. Very sensitive people, like they will do anything for you, but then they expect you do anything for them. If you tell them no, they take it very hard. It's almost like, oh, wow, I thought we were friends. (laughs) We, in this country, we are much more driven by, laws and rules and regulations over there things are done more through relationships like um, if you want something done if you want to you know get something done in business you know someone and you go to them and they help you out but then if they need a favor in turn you would do for them like something that we may consider you know giving bribes is very customary it's almost like very polite way of doing things, you know. You did something for me. Here is some money. Thank you so much. And if you ever needed a favor, then I'll do something in return. And um, but one thing I do want to say, um, you know, um, when we went to war with Iraq, I stood back and I, you know, I was I was all for it. Again, I am as. American as anybody who's sitting here. I love this country. I look at this country as my country. But I began to notice something that was not right. We were being pitted against them. And the Christian community, you people here, are my community. The evangelical Christians are my community. And I began to see that the evangelical community is being conditioned to think of us versus them. They are bad. They are evil. They are here to kill us. This and that. And it was almost like we were being planted seed of hatred. And I was, because I was from there, I was noticing all these ministers that were very influential, were saying things that were not true, not true at all. It would be like this. Imagine you are in Iran, you are sitting there, and all of a sudden, maybe you know you became a, a Muslim gentleman, and all of a sudden you go to mosque, and this imam, they call their preachers imam, he's coming over there and he says, you know, all Americans are white supremacists, and you're sitting there you thinking, that's not true. I know that. I know that that's not true. I'm American. What is this guy talking about? That's how I felt. Because I was from there, I was able to see where the errors were, that we are being petted against them. But in reality, it should not be that way. And um, before you know, I open it up for question and answer, you know, right now, things are getting bad. You know, There's a lot of talk that we may go in war with Iran. Uh, The biggest thing is, what lens do you use to view these people? I hate when we put ourselves in categories like liberal, conservative, this and that, because you know, uh, those labels sometimes don't fit. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, sometimes they're handy in identifying. You know, if, if there is a liberal gentleman here, and if you come and talk to him, and we went to war with Iran, and you ask him, well, what's your opinion? He may say, well, we shouldn't get involved, we shouldn't do this, you know, maybe some of it might be our own doing. But if you come and ask a conservative gentleman, well, what do you think we should do? What do you think? He said, Well, you know, they're terrorists or this or that, you know. So, well, they get what's coming to them. But how should a Christian view Do we view these issues through the lens of our political identification or through the lens of the Bible? I was looking at this situation through the lens of my political affiliation. And all my Christian friends were doing the same thing. But slowly and slowly, I thought, you know, this isn't right. I was becoming something that I didn't like. I was full of hate, I was angry, and I was just thinking of bomb them all. But you know, you read the New Testament, what does it say about dealing with your enemies? And then I began to talk to my friends, and they were like, oh, you know, they have it coming. But I noticed that our friendships were more centered around how we see things politically rather than Christ, what Christianity should be like, how we should see things those way. If you have an Islamic family that moves into your area, how do you behave toward them? Do you see them through the lens of your political affiliation? Or do you see them through the lens of the New Testament? I want to keep that with you to think because there is very good reason maybe we will go to war. But if it did, pray for your enemies. That's how we should be. You see, your citizenship is in heaven. Your community is in heaven and you are an ambassador of a monarch in this country. And we should represent that monarch and how he views things. Just to leave you with a thought. Well, let's open it up now for anything that maybe you may wondered. You may want to. Uh,
0: yes. First of all, thank you for showing us. God bless you. That was extraordinary. Sure. Without a doubt. Oh, Without a doubt. Okay.
1: I actually will go as far as see. Muhammad, when he was getting his revelation, he would go to outside of city of Mecca, there were all these caves. And he actually believed that he was becoming demon-possessed. He wanted to commit suicide. His wife convinced him: no, you know, maybe God is choosing you to be a recipient of revelation. But he really thought he was getting demon-possessed. So I do not. And see, here is another thing in our society. Depending on where we are politically, some people who think all religions are basically say the same thing. That is totally false, completely false. All religions, these religions, are, I don't believe, the only one that is from the true and living God was the biblical Judaism and then Christianity. I believe there is no other way to get right with God except that your sins to be dealt with. See, if you ask a Muslim guy, how do you go to heaven, he would tell you that you really never know. You have to wait until that day, the judgment day, to find out if you are gonna make it to heaven or not. And the way they would think is that if your good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, God would forgive all the bad deeds and would usher you into heaven. If you ask him, Adam and Eve committed one sin, one act of rebellion. Why then God didn't forgive them for that one minor offense? It's all distortion. But if you have grown up in it, you think that that's true. You think that that is true. But yeah, no, not from God at all. Any other thoughts? Yes?
0: A number of years ago, um, I'm going to say his name wrong, uh, Ahmadinejad?
1: Ahmadinejad, yes. At the uh, at
0: the UN. Yes. He mentioned something about Mahdi. Mahdi, yes. And I'm curious to
1: know who that figure is in Islam and Yeah. In the Shiite branch of Islam, there is a 12 imam. 12, they call it 12 imam. He's Mahdi. They believe that he will come at the end time. He's kind of like, almost like a messianic figure. And they actually believe that Jesus would come back to Earth too with that Mehdi guy, with that individual. And then the whole world will more or less be...
0: So that's kind of tied into the difference between Shia and Sunni?
1: Um, To tell you the truth, I don't know the Sunni version of it, but I know the Shia version. He is like a messianic figure that's gonna come yeah, he
0: certainly,
1: at the end. Certainly acted that way when yes. He acted the UN he yes. About. Yes. They have their version of some of the end time events, you know. But one of the things about Iran is because they were an empire, you know, the Persian Empire, at one point this empire encompassed half of Russia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, North India, all the way to Egypt. They are very proud people, and um, <clears throat> um, well, I was going to say, I lost my train of thought. I'm getting old. <laughs> um, but um, Iran wants to be the champion of Islam. You see, if you can visualize, here is Iran. Right next to it is Iraq. Here is Syria. Iran wants to create a Shiite crescent here and to influence both these countries and ultimately liberate the country of Israel because they want to be the champion of in a sense for the Palestinian people they look at the Arabs, Saudi Arabia Kuwait those countries as sellouts they sold their soul to the West they are just puppets but we want to be the true champion of Islam. And right now, the power struggle is between Saudi Arabia and Iran. These two are the main power who are pulling. So, And one thing I do say, um, you know, um, I'm sure most of us would agree with this statement, that most of the news that we get are biased. Most of the news that we get, is somewhat a commentary depending on your political likeness say if i'm a gentleman and i'm on the left i can listen to cnn msnbc and what i get is more or less a slant at any republican administration and how they're doing things that are wrong now if i'm on the right i can listen to fox news and get a slant that there is a Democratic president can do nothing right. (laughs) Having said that, I highly encourage you to listen to news media that are outside of US. RT. It's a Russian news media. But think you are getting a spin. Think you are getting a spin. But if I'm getting only a spin from one side, I'm only seeing things through that spin. But let's see what the other side thinks. I listen to BBC, Al Jazeera, and RT. And I tell you, it's amazing. It's almost like, you know, have you ever had a couple come up to you and they have marital issues? And you listen to the guy and he tells you a story, and you listen to the lady and she tells you another story. And they are so far apart that you can think of how can this be the same issues? <laughs> what he said was so different than what you're saying. That's how the news is. But if you be able to at least listen to other news outlets, maybe as slowly as slowly you can connect the dots that what does make sense, and not get conditioned to seeing things a certain way that maybe is not accurate at all. Maybe you're just a spawn. Be aware, because we make our decisions, or our heart and soul goes into what we think is right. But what if what you and I think is right is a spin? See, we don't think that. But please l- look at other outlets. See from another. You don't have to accept what they say. but. It will be helpful. It really will be helpful. It's more helpful to match it all up scripture. Well, yeah. And the thing is, you know, say, like, give you one example. How many people heard that in Syria that the guy was using gas against his own people? And remember, in the presidency of Barack Obama, we had a line across the sand that if he does this, you're going to go after him. Even recently, why didn't be? One minor problem. The Russians were able to prove that the gas that was used is not the gas that the Syrians have. It's a different kind of gas. Where did that come from?
0: <laughs> it's the Russians, yes. No, but to be fair like I was yep. in I was in Russia just after the Crimean conflict. Okay. And it was un- it was so amazing to see uh, as an American quietly with Russian right. brothers and sisters. The overwhelming natural understanding of Of course we would take Crimea as right. our country. Like sure. We're just we're just protecting our and all the right. news and and then, and then coming back here, and then the American side, and all this different, yeah, I appreciate that conversation of like you just yeah. different perspectives from different places. Yeah.
1: Because you see, we we may get a spin. But the thing is, we're all ready to go and kill everybody <laughs> just because we got a spin. But at least, let me see what the enemy thinks, okay. what the other people think. It really give us a better view. I highly recommend this, so that we don't get conditioned to think a certain way. Any other thoughts? Yes? Uh,
0: perhaps this is too personal, but how did your conversion to Christianity impact your immediate family, your extended family?
1: Well, yeah. You know, um, in Iran today, it's against the law to convert to a different religion. Now. Then my parents, uh, they would talk, you know, we would talk on the phone. A uh, couple times I mentioned to them, yeah, I'm going to church. And, couple, you know, they didn't say anything. But then later on they said, you know, why do you go to church? And um, I didn't say I became a Christian, just in case if somebody was listening. But then they did come over. We used to pray for them all the time. They all eventually became Christians. Their eyes got open. And... Um, they all became converted, but, um, but you know, it, my parents, uh, my mom was more religious than my dad, but, uh, it, again, if you were middle class people, you typically weren't that religious, but if you are a hot Muslim guy, and all of a sudden your son or daughter becomes a Christian, the way that guy would view things is like he's turning his back on God. It'd be just like if one of our son and daughter became a Buddhist. You see, so it would not go very well at all. It would not go very well at all. Now. Any final thought? Yes, please. I to, uh,
0: sure. I, I thought that the, the Muslims believe the uh, five books of Moses.
1: No, I never read them. You know, they call that Torah, Torah, You know, Torah. But we never read them. We never read anything that would have anything to do with uh, Christianity or the Jewish faith. Because you saw yourself superior. You thought that you were the final revelation of God. So why would you want to go backward? You see, that's how they think. That's all. The thought process
0: is. Also, um, was
1: there emerging, or? Can I be honest? Yeah. I didn't think they were very informed at all. I thought that most of these people are very naive and they can't even explain their own religion, let alone want to convert me to Christianity. But I don't think I would have, even if they were able to answer those questions. Because I was just not interested. I mean, I was just like dead. And you see, <laughs> we, as a matter of fact, when we used to attend here, um, there was a missionary gentleman. I don't know if he was in Africa or where. And he was teaching, using a scripture to teach English. And he, I never forget him, he said that, have you ever looked at what it says kind of critically? and people began to ask you questions and how to answer them. But you see, we take it for granted. It's like, you know, because we have been, you know, just the influence of Christianity. If you talk to an American guy who's not a Christian and tell him a little bit about Jesus, at least he has some ideas. But when you go across the world that nobody has heard about Jesus and you begin to tell him about Jesus, he is thinking, what are you talking about, you know? It's, you see the contrast. How Paul said to the Greek, it be foolishness, foolishness. You really see that that's how that person thinks. Unless the Holy Spirit illuminates the person, enables them to understand. Maybe you have five minutes. If any, I thought I saw a hand back there. Yes. If
0: I know a woman, And she
1: wears the
0: headgear with regular clothes. Yes. What
1: does that mean? Well, see, that would show you that that person takes their faith seriously. In Islamic faith, you don't want your hair to be shown, you know, and uh, some places they are even more strict. Have you seen, like, the people from Afghanistan? They actually wear all the way from head to toe, and all you see is, like, you know, they have, like, little things over here. A lot of those poor girl ladies, they fall to the ground, they have all kinds of problems because they can't see. But it's the sign of modesty, that you know, you're trying to be modest and not tempt the men. You know.
0: How would you go about responding to a person like that?
1: Okay. You know, because they are very personable people, I wouldn't come and just throw a bunch of verses at them. It'd be like trying to talk to a Jehovah Witness. You know, you give him your verse, and they give him and at the end, nobody goes anywhere. <laughs> but you know, I would, I would just sincerely be friendly. You don't have to become something that you're not. Be friendly, be nice, but don't look at them as enemies. Don't look at them as a bunch of people that you know are gonna blow off a bomb in, <laughs> in your neighborhood. They're not. Just be who you are, if you became friends with Him, allow the Lord to lead you. Allow the Lord to lead you. Um, And again, if you became friends with Him, just allow the Lord to open up the conversation. But you know, a lot of times, sharing your own testimony, sharing what God has done for you, will go more into opening Him up and make Him think, rather than throwing things at Him that, hey, you know, We believe this, you believe that, you know, that shuts things down. But you know, when a Holy Spirit is beginning to draw someone, there is a certain amount of interest in that person. They want to know. I'm curious. I want to know. Or maybe somewhere along the way, a conversation would open up. But if the Holy Spirit is not drawing that person, you'd be talking to a wall. So.
0: Yes. if like a Muslim family moved into my neighborhood, yeah. would it be, is it religiously inappropriate for men to talk to other women? Yeah. Or, not or is it just culturally in some areas of the world? Like if we meet at the mailbox, and I'm like, hey, you're the new family, and she like, not gonna mm-hmm. talk to you yeah. because that's not okay?
1: Yeah, that's not cool. Over there, you know, you don't talk to the ladies. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk much more to the, again, gender with gender. But uh, yeah, even, even when I was growing up in Iran, it was not cool to date. I mean, I dated a few times, but it was like a hush-hush thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a very patriarchy culture. Uh, yeah. It, so
0: send your wife to talk to her, and then you can talk to him. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. yeah.
1: You know, uh, that, that sensitivity will go a long way until they get to know you. Then if you're at the mailbox and say hi, it's not like, is he trying to make a move on me or you know that kind of thing? All
0: right, well, thank you so much for David, you guys. Thank you so much. All right, thank you guys for coming. Uh, just trying to do some easy men's ministry events like this. Want to honor everybody's time and thank you for being here. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll let you know about what's coming up in the future, but let's uh if you can, well, we'll probably need. If you can hang out for a few minutes and help clean up, take some of this to the dumpster. That'd be great. But uh, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much uh, for tonight. Thank you, God, for what you've done in David's life and just the the power of your Holy Spirit and your Word. And I pray that uh, we would think deeply and meditate a bit on on what He has said and. Um, And, and Lord, help us just not to take things for granted like the word of God and this church family and uh, the freedom that we have here and help us uh, to uh, maximize it for your glory and to love others. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.